Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and yes, it is really Wednesday. Yeah, that's what happens on the short work week is Wednesday comes that much quicker. And okay, yesterday on the podcast, we talked about some new research from Altos Research that says that we could have bidding wars just like we saw in the summer of 2021, once again, to start 2022. And I know a lot of people especially people not in the real estate industry are going to say, no, there's no way housing has got to start slowing down. It, it, it just, it has to, right? What goes up must come back down. How can housing not only be not cooling off, but actually heating back up again. And for anybody that asked that question, all you have to do is tell them this statistic. Yesterday, CoreLogic released the latest CoreLogic single family rent index. This from November. Year over year, national rents were up 11.5%. That is an increase from October's 10.9% growth rate. So rents, year over year, 11.5%. Now, if you remember, rents took a little longer to start kicking in than what we saw with houses. So we could be at a point or close to it because remember all this data sort of lags. We could be there now. We don't know um, where rents start overtaking home appreciation. But that's how you can explain the housing market remaining hot because sure, home prices are jumping double digits, but so are rents. So this 11.5% year over year increase is well above the 3.8% year over year appreciation in November of 2020. Now, for the first time since the pandemic, and this is a little concerning, the high-priced rentals did not see the most appreciation. So for the pretty much the whole pandemic, what we've seen is the highest appreciation among the high prices and the lowest appreciation among the lowest price units. That was not the case for the first time that I can think of during this pandemic. So what we saw was the higher middle-priced rentals took the top spot with 12% year-over-year growth. That was up from 3.8% in November 2020. Higher-priced rentals saw an appreciation of 11.7%, so not that far behind. Uh, Lower-middle-priced were up 11.3%, and lower-priced were up the least at 10.4%. So I guess the one benefit is that what you're seeing is the lowest-priced rentals are not appreciating at or appreciating at the slowest rate, but you're still looking at 10%. I mean, a 10% jump for someone staying at the lowest price level, that's probably going to be more problematic than what's happening at the higher priced level. So in case you're interested, yes, Miami, Florida is still the worst place to rent. And I don't mean that because Miami, um, you know, Miami itself. I just mean this data, 33% year over year appreciation. 33%. I mean, the closest, the closest to that was Phoenix at 19.4% and Las Vegas at 16.7%. I mean, that's Miami is double what Las Vegas is at number three. It's just like so far ahead. Miami is going to be in the lead for a while unless something crazy happens. Uh, and just so you know, 11 of the 20 metro areas surveyed by CoreLogic saw double-digit price growth year over year. So like I said, rental data is always a good reminder of why the housing market can remain hot 
even with rising rates and rising prices. And I don't think we're anywhere close to the top of this rental market, unfortunately. Uh, You're looking at low inventory, you're looking at high occupancy. I don't see rents falling anytime soon. Now you would think that that would be the perfect situation for home builder confidence to grow. And most people thought that in the month of December, that home builder confidence would remain steady, but it actually fell. It unexpectedly fell just a little bit, one little point. It did fall though. Month over month, home builder confidence, according to the National Association of Home Builders, fell one point to 83 in January. Confidence was unchanged from the same time one year ago. And like I said, economists had projected that the index would remain unchanged at 84. But it's kind of funny because I remember in December, they thought it was going to drop and it held steady. Uh, And so this time it actually thought it was going to hold steady and it dropped. So averaged out, we're about where we should be. Now, here is what led the decline. It was concerns about the future, not what is happening now. Looking at single family sales for the next six months, that fell two points to 83 in January. The traffic of prospective buyers also saw a two point decline falling to 69, while current conditions, the current confidence remained unchanged at 90. So still very high in how they feel about what is happening. Right now, regionally, the West surprisingly overtook the South to take the top regional spot with a one-point gain in January to 88. The South fell two points, so just behind at 87. The Northeast uh, fell two points to 74. And the Midwest saw a big drop. They fell nine points to 71. So as I mentioned yesterday, we had this research, Altos research, demand is holding Inventory is at record levels. So you would think that those two scenarios, especially then we also had the data from Zonda, their chief economist, Ali Wolf, chiming in saying that home builders, uh, that hesitancy among consumers had fallen in half from where it was in the summer to where it is right now. So it looks like, or I would say you'd think that builder confidence would increase or at least stay the same, why would it drop? Well, the reason for the decline actually has very little to do with what is happening in the housing market or even our economy with regards to our country. Robert Dietz, the chief economist of the National Association of Home Builders, said this is all about supply chains. While lean existing home inventory and solid buyer demand are supporting the need for new construction, the combination of ongoing increases for building materials, worsening skilled labor shortages, and higher mortgage rates points to declines for housing affordability in 2022. And so this trade issue and the supply chains and being able to get these products is really wreaking havoc on home builder confidence. And sure, they are worried about what's going to happen with rates, no doubt about that. Um, and then, of course, skilled labor shortages. And you could even argue that there's an immigration issue. Uh, that's been a big issue that's come to light recently in a lot of reports is just how few immigrants are coming into this country. And a lot of sort of both skilled and non-skilled labor. And so that's going to impact the housing industry in a multitude of ways, unfortunately. 
But yeah, I would say supply chains and how much, you know, we're, we're seeing lumber once again increase and, and pretty much all of the raw materials. Now, I did see some good news and I did not get an update that we could be seeing tariffs between the United States and the UK possibly being minimized to some extent with regards to metals. And like I said, I did not get to see what it was about or how close they are. So don't quote me on that, but that would be welcoming. There is no doubt about that. And speaking of supply chains, let's wrap it up with the supply chain. This article over at Bloomberg just blew my mind because they were talking about shipping containers. And I don't know a lot about, I don't know a lot about trade. I'm a free trade guy, but I don't know the logistics of trade, how much anything costs, what it costs to ship, none of that. But this, you don't need to know. So the spot rate for a 40-foot container to the United States from Asia just a few years ago was $2,000. What do you think it is or was when it peaked last year? What do you think? (laughs) 20,000. That's... Go from 2000 to 20, a 10 fold increase. And that's, it, it actually gets worse. Making matters worse, tight container capacity and port congestion means that longer term rates set in contracts between carriers and shippers are running an estimated 200% higher than a year ago. Now, obviously, this led to very large profits for the ocean freight carriers who pulled in an estimated. Ready for this? $150 billion in 2021. <laughs> and I mean, the reality is that shipping containers are like any other cost increase for producers. As those costs rise and remain at a higher level, they will be passed on to consumers which is what economists have been worried about. According to Bloomberg, Bloomberg reported, quote, the extended windfall has touched a raw nerve across the political spectrum as economists warn that persistently high transportation prices are stoking inflation and clouding the recovery. So they're worried that these things at some point are really going to start being the cause of these. Like we need that with prices already as high as they are. And reminder, this is all happening with record trade deficits. If you don't remember the goods trade deficit widened in November to 97.8 billion, which exceeded the previous record deficit in September of 97 billion. And then tariffs, I mentioned tariffs earlier, through November, the United States has collected a record 77.4 billion in tariffs on imports the previous record was 74.1 billion in 2019 and so that 77.4 billion is not total we still have one more month to go (laughs) so you can get an idea that we are going to clear the last record and remember all that money that's coming from producers pockets in the united states i know there's a lot of confusion about that about who pays the tariffs americans american producers do That's who pays it. And they pass that cost on to us. So really, we pay it. Consumers pay it. It, A tariff is a tax. That's all it is. Just to make it easy. A tariff is a tax. It increases the price of something. It's a tax. It's just a fancier way of saying it. It's more letters, more syllables. But that's what it is. It is a tax. And a tax gets passed on. A tariff gets passed on. Now, I did have one question. I actually legitimately do not know the answer to this. Does that affect... The price of 
container homes. I know that's like a big kind of trendy thing right now. And hipster neighborhoods. We got that here in Wilmington. We got a cargo district where you got a lot of cargo houses and stores. And I wonder if that's impacting because that's supposed to be like a cheap option, right? Like, oh, it's cheaper to build the cargo or I think isn't that the benefit of cargo? I don't know what the benefit of cargo is, but I think it's it's cheaper. And so this I have to assume a tenfold increase can't be good for making the uh, container home argument. I wouldn't think. I don't know. Like I said, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know a lot about container homes. <laughs> All right. What do we got happening today? Okay. We got some big numbers coming out. We got housing starts. They are expected to fall 1.7% to 1.65 million to close out the year. Construction permits are expected to barely fall 0.5%. So, I mean, almost unchanged. And then, and this is the number a lot of people are going to be watching. We get the weekly data from the Mortgage Bankers Association, obviously looking at mortgage demand, but rates are going to be getting a lot of attention this morning because, if you remember last week, they had rates at 3.52%. And for those that weren't paying attention yesterday, crazy day on the markets. The, I mean, every index was just bleeding. It was it was a blood bloodbath yesterday. So yields were way up. The 10-year was at 1.875. I, I, I can't remember the last time it was at 1.8. It's been a while. And Mortgage News Daily had rates at 3.7%. So a lot of people are going to be watching to see what that Mortgage Bankers Association number is. So we will talk about it tomorrow here on another edition, the Thursday edition of Markets and Mortgages. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. We'll see you back here Thursday. That's how it works. We do the Thursday show on Thursday. That's how we roll. All right, you guys, like I said, have a good Thursday. We'll see you here tomorrow. And as as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.